first century Jerusalem, you would see a group of disciples or students walking through the streets and among them leading the way their teacher, their rabbi. So valuable was the opportunity to follow the rabbi that you longed to be covered in the dust of his feet. Jesus of Nazareth was walking those ancient streets. Today, Jesus is still calling disciples. Come, follow me, that all who draw near may be covered in dust. What is up, Rise City Church? Hey, hey! First and foremost, can I can I just say a special Happy Mother's Day to to all you moms out there? The the work you do day in and day out, not to mention nights, is absolutely incredible, and, and the impact that it has will last into eternity, like, like for real. Um, that, that, that's just the first thing I want to say, and just celebrate great you moms and, and all the work that you do. Uh, secondly, if you don't know me, like Zach said, my name's Scott Bean. Um, I'm 37 years old. I've been at Rise City Church for about five and a half years committed here, and, and this, is, this is church home for, for me and for my family. Um, I have a wife who's also a rad mom uh, named Stephanie, and we got three kids, Calvin, Owen, and Piper, and and this is not my primary ministry. Like, the, I actually work a job. I dig trenches, and I put pipe in the ground, and I, I minister there. Um, but, but, like, my main ministry is youth. Like, like God purpose-built me to, to just be a youth minister, to disciple up high school kids, um, to, to just know Jesus better. So that's, that's just a little bit about who I am. And, and so you don't really see me a whole lot up here. Um, if you're newer to the church, um, you probably have ne- may never have seen me. Um, But we're going to jump right into the word um, this morning. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 9, but just a little bit about what's going on. That Paul, this guy, Paul, he's an apostle. Like, he's sent by Jesus, and he's like Holy Spirit inspired, and he's writing this letter to the Colossians. And the Colossians are a church. It's, It's a group of people in a city called Colossae. And they got saved, actually not by Paul. Like, Paul would go around as a missionary, and he would preach the gospel. And they would see a bunch of people get saved, and then he would plant a church, and then he would like see it kind of mature and grow, and he'd be like, all right, you guys got this. I'll write you and encourage you, but I'm on to the next place to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named so that I might not be building on another man's foundation. And he would go on and he would write, but he didn't even plant this one. This is planted by this name guy named Epaphras, who heard the gospel somewhere else, came to Colossae, preached there, planted the church and Paul is now writing because he's heard about them. He's heard that there's a church there and he's like, oh, I got to write, I got to write them because they're a church and they, they need this encouragement too. And so we pick it up in verse nine and he says, for this reason also, meaning like, hey, I've heard that you guys have gotten saved and that you believe in Jesus for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
So check this out. He, he starts off by saying, hey, we are praying for you, and we are praying for you unceasingly. And a lot of times, if, you, if you've been through the Bible a lot, one of the attitudes that we might have towards these kind of introductory types of things is to think that this is just flavor text before the real meat. Like, like this isn't the, the real meat of the passage, and yeah, we're going to get into like this thing of asceticism and this heresy and dealing out with that in Colossians, and like, okay, we'll just move past this. But, but it's not that. There's real sub substance here that we want to deal with. And he says, for this reason also, since the day we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you. And, and one of the questions is, is, is Paul just doing like some like brag and boast? Like, hey, look at me. Look how holy I am. Like, I pray unceasingly for you. Like, like, is that what's going on? Because Paul does this a lot. Like, he does this in Romans and in Corinthians and in Galatians and Ephesians. Like, almost every single letter that he writes to an individual or to a church, he says this. Like, this is how he starts off. And he says, like, I've been praying for you. I've been on my knees for you. And I, I don't think it's some sort of brag. I think what it is is Paul wants them to know that he's praying for them because he wants to be an encouragement to them. Because here's the reality that, that they know, and if, we, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, I hope that you know that this is the truth, that Jesus died. Jesus died. He lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we ought to have died so that we would have confident access to the throne room of God. That if you are in Christ, you have confident access to the Father. You don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You don't need somebody else to go to the Father for you. Yes, we pray in groups. Yes, we pray together. All that is great. But you by yourself can go to God the Father if you are in Christ. And he hears you. And he listens to you. And Paul, he's like, I, I go to the Father on your behalf. I am praying for you. And he listens. And the prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. And so when he prays this, he wants them to be encouraged that there are people himself that is on his knees before the living God on their behalf. Man, what an encouragement that would be for us. I actually got convicted of this a number of months ago because I just started to see through the scriptures how prevalent this is that, that he says this. And I'm like, man, I don't tell people that I'm praying for them. And then I started to think about how encouraged I am when people are praying for me. Like when I wake up at 4.30 and I push that alarm a few times and then like I finally am getting up and then all of a sudden Dave Bradley like texts me at 5 a.m. telling me that he's praying for me. Do you know what that does for my soul? Or when I get a, a Slack message from John Maynard. And he was woken up by the Holy Spirit in the middle of the night and just starts praying for me and writes out the prayer that he was praying for me. Do you know what that does to encourage me to press me on to Jesus? Oh man, it's so beautiful and wonderful. And can I just tell you that, that there, if you're in this room right now, people have been praying for you. And I know this to be true because I've been praying for you. And I might not know your name. I might not know your face, but I constantly pray for this church. I've been so burdened to pray for this church and to care for this church. That, that God just drives me to my knees praying for you guys. And, and there are people, there's leadership here. There's people on the prayer team here. There are people just scattered amongst this room right now that you would never even know it that have that same burden and they are praying for you. And, and can I just encourage you one thing to, to, to imitate Paul as he imitates Christ in this. And when you're praying for people, we, we, don't, don't let it be a boast, but would you, would you let them know? Send them a text message. 
When you see him, tell him like, hey, I've been praying this for you. And tell him the actual thing that you're praying for them about. Like Paul does here. Check it out. We have not ceased to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Paul is praying that that these Colossians, and this is actually for us too, like like what, what we need is that we would be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And this knowledge is not just like a head knowledge. It's not just a carnal knowledge, a fleshly knowledge. It's not just knowledge to pass a test. Like when, it, when I was in school a number of years, ago, I was going to like become a nurse or something. And I bagged that whole thing to dig trenches and I love it. And I'm so glad I did. Um, but like, I, like you've got to get straight A's to get into nursing school. And so I was like, chemistry, microbiology, anatomy, and physiology, I'm going to crush it. Like, I'm going to crush these tests. And anatomy and physiology, you have to like memorize every bone in the body and how everything works. All you medical people out there know what I'm talking about. And, and so you're just memorizing all this stuff. And me and my study partner, Chris, we'd have like 10 to 12 hour like study sessions on Saturdays, just memorizing every detail so that we could like get 100% or if there was extra credit and more so on those tests. But, but this is not what Paul has in mind. I'm not just, hey, I know theology just to know theology and I can quote little things. But that the knowledge of his will would be real knowledge, a deep knowledge. And actually this word would be translated like that. It would be translated not just knowledge, but real knowledge or deep knowledge. But, but even if we, we don't look at Greek and any of that, we see it in the context here. Check it out. The knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because here's the reality. If you are in Christ, is that your spirit is alive in Christ. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. But God being rich in mercy made you alive. Ephesians chapter 2. Like he made you alive. Yeah, your body was alive, but your spirit was dead. If you are in Christ, you have an alive spirit and this knowledge that he's praying for that, that God wants for us here today is a knowledge of his will that's not just up here, but that it sinks into the core of our being. That it would affect our spirit and there would be spiritual wisdom and spiritual understanding. That it would go deep deeply into us that we we would know him and his will in that way in that manner but then he goes on because because this isn't the end all be all the knowledge is supposed to be leading to something this deep knowing is supposed to lead to something check out the next verse verse 10 so that You will walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So that there there is a connection here that is absolutely crucial to our understanding of this passage, because if we miss this connection, we end up like are likely to end up falling back into what we humans love to do, which is fall into legalism. And if you don't know what legalism is in the context of Christianity and all that, it basically means you want to work for your salvation and working for your salvation with God doesn't work. Jesus came to die. Jesus came to justify 
justify. He lived the life we couldn't live. He did it on our behalf. We don't work for salvation. You don't have to work to please God. He is pleased with you if you are in Christ, in faith in him. And so if you miss this so that, we, we might mess it up because here's what we fall into. is we read, walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in all respects. And we say, okay, I want to please him in all respects. And, and I start flipping through this thing and I'm like, okay, that doesn't please him. Oh, that doesn't please him. That doesn't please him. And I start my little list of don'ts, the things that don't please him. And then I, I write my list of things of do's of, of the things that do does please him. And I'm like, okay, I can't do the don'ts and I got to do the do's and like, all right, I messed up and I did the don't and like, okay, Jesus forgives. I'll pray. And then we just go back to trying to earn our favor with God, which is utter nonsense. This is not the gospel. The gospel that is that God saved you. If you are in Christ, he saved you apart from any work that you have done. You come just as you are, filthy sinner. It doesn't matter what you've done. You come just as you are to Jesus and he cleans you up and he makes you righteous. But we don't go on living in sin. We don't go on living in it. And the knowledge of his will is supposed to lead to this walking. It's supposed to lead to this. It's that you would grow in the knowledge of his will with a deep spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you would walk in a manner worthy, pleasing him in all respects. And so we have to ask the question, well, what does please him then? What, what really does please him if it's not the list of don'ts and do's? And, and there is a, a, a piece of truth. There, there are things on those lists that we could create that, that he's not stoked on. And there are things that he is stoked on. But primarily, the thing that he is pleased with, we actually find in Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11 is it's an awesome, it's one of the most encouraging chapters in all the Bible, aside from probably Romans 8. That's just my opinion. But uh, Hebrews chapter 11, it's the, it's the hall of faith. It's the hall of faith, and it starts out with this definition of faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old gained approval. And then he goes down to um, verse 6, and he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who comes to him must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Faith is what pleases God. Because we are reliant on him. Whether you know it or not, whether you believe it or not, you are reliant on God. Because God created everything. God was not created. He has existed for all eternity. The very nature of anybody that has been created means you are reliant on something. If you have not existed for all of eternity, you are reliant, which means all the universe is reliant on one thing, one person. That is the God who created it all and spoke it into the universe. We are reliant on him for everything. In him, we move and live and have our being. But, but what he's pleased in is when we actively, purposefully rely on him in faith for everything that we do, for every breath that we take, for every word that we speak, and everything that we do. God is pleased when we rely on him 
And if you caught the second half of that verse, it's that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. This is, it's about his glory and our joy. And those things are inextricably linked. I love, I think it's the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The very first one is this question and answer thing to help you learn about God and the attributes of God. And it starts off with this question, what is the chief end of man? And the answer is, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And man, that's such a beautiful thing that glorifying God and enjoying him forever are, are tied together. And if, if, you don't, if you're not in Christ, man, I, can I just tell you, you do not know real joy. You do not know joy, the, the joy of what it is to know Jesus. The greatest joy that you will ever experience is knowing Jesus because that is what you were created for. To, to rely on him and to be with him. And that he would reward you with a joy and an abundant, everlasting life like you've never experienced. And joy unending. But, but so now we've got to put all this stuff together. To grow in the knowledge of his will, pleasing him in all matters, walking in a manner worthy of him. And, and this faith, this reliance, in, and where does it come from? And how do I have that kind of trust? That's the real question. How do I have that kind of trust, that kind of faith? And the thought I had that helps me connect this is actually what gives me trust in other people. And for example, a few months ago, we had the chance to go up to, um, me and my wife had the chance to get away. Like it had been like a couple of years since we had actually gone to like get away together, like away from our kids and just hang out, me and my wife. And so we spent two nights up at Timberline. And as we're planning this, we're like, oh, we need someone to watch the children because like handing them a conch like in Lord of the Flies is not going to work. Um, and so we, we have to have someone watch these kids. And so you know what I don't do? I don't go down to Fred Meyer, grab a shopping cart, start like shopping and then look and be like, hey, you look trustworthy. You want to come watch my kids for two nights? Like, I don't do that. I, I don't. And you know what? That person might just well be the most trustworthy person in this city. But I don't know that. I don't know them. And so I'm not going to do that. And so we ask the question, well, who do we know that would watch our kids? Who do we know that would watch our kids? And, and I, I think this applies. We've we got to be careful with it. But I think this applies to the way that faith works with, with God. Is that if we knew God, we would, we would trust in him. It, the more we know God the more we would trust in him because God is trustworthy. His trustworthy doesn't change based on my feelings or my belief in him or anything like that. If we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Man, God is faithful no matter what. He's trustworthy no matter what. And if I got to know him as trustworthy, if I got to know him for who he is, my reliance and my trust in him would build. And I think this is why Paul hits it like this. I pray that you would know the knowledge of his will. I pray that you would know him. Because that is what's going to lead into walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is what's going to lead into pleasing him in all respects and relying on him. And bearing fruit wherever you go. This is what it's going to, what's going to happen. This is the outcome of that. 
And can I just tell you, if you're asking the question of like, well, how do I know God? Well, how do I know God? Primarily through this thing. This is the way that God has chosen primarily to reveal himself to people in our world. This Bible, like the Holy Bible, like like his scriptures, he has written to us so that we would know who he is, that we would know how good he is, that we would know his glory and his majesty and his justice and his wrath and his kindness and his unending patience and his grace. And as Sally Lloyd-Jones puts it, like his never stopping, never giving up, all always and forever love. This is how we know it. He has written to us his love story of who he is and what he's done for it. So like in the annals of history, right in here, the redemptive history is in this Bible and he talks to us through it. And I will tell you, if you start reading this thing, it will change you. It will change you because it is truth divine. John Calvin puts it this way in his Institutes. When an unpolished simplicity, almost bordering on rudeness, makes a deeper impression than the loftiest flights of oratory, what does it indicate if not that the Holy Scriptures are too mighty in the power of truth to need the rhetorician's art? For the truth is vindicated in opposition to every doubt. When, unsupported by foreign aid, it has its sole sufficiency in itself. How peculiarly this property belongs to Scripture appears from this. That no human writings, however skillfully composed, are at all capable of affecting us in a similar way. Read Demosthenes or Cicero. Read Plato, Aristotle, or any other of that class. You will, I admit, feel wonderfully allured, pleased, moved, enchanted, But turn from them to the reading of the sacred volume, and whether you will or not, it will so affect you, so pierce your heart, so work its way into your very marrow, that in comparison of the impression so produced, that of orators and philosophers will almost disappear, making it manifest that in the sacred volume there is a truth divine, a something which makes it immeasurably superior to all the gifts and graces attainable, my man. Now, if you're like me and you're a little bit slow and you have to read that 20 times to get it and it's a really long quote, here's, here's the basics of, of what he said. There, there's other books out there that people write and they have beautiful prose. They are beautifully written and they just draw you in. And not all the Bible is like that. Not all the Bible draws you in by the just manner and the way that it's written. There there are parts of it that are actually beautiful poetry, and there's parts of it that are kind of rough. But there is something in the Bible, because it was written by the Holy Spirit through men, that pierces the heart, and it changes people. It changes me, and it, it declares itself in its effect on the human soul to be straight from God himself. And this is the effect that the word has on us. Because when we read it, we see God. When you read the word, you see and know God and he talks to you. And when you listen to it, and when you read it, it can actually be kind of a dangerous thing. Check it out. Here's what I mean. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. For the word of God is living and active, 
and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. If you venture into the Bible and you start reading the Bible and you're like, God, I want you to talk to me. And you pray that prayer and you know him and you're like, I want you to talk to me. I want to know who you are. I want to know how I relate to you. I want to know the way that you have me to walk with you. Man, you will get filleted open. (laughs) And it won't be comfortable sometimes. It will be comfortable other times, man. There's mornings in my devotions. There's mornings in my devotions, man, where it's just sweet peace and comfort in Jesus. And there's other mornings where I'm reading the word, and man, conviction of sin runs deep. It runs deep, and it's not comfortable, but he doesn't heap shame up on me either. And he says, hey, I'm going to take you a step forward. It may not be easy, but man, it's a beautiful, wonderful thing that brings around the peaceful fruit of righteousness. And along with it, joy. I love my Bible. Like, I I absolutely love this Bible, but I don't worship it. And there's nothing special about, like, this, like, like, like the binding, the pages, even like the ink, like, like there's nothing special about this particular thing. I remember so many years, like serving at skate church and, and I would do things like this, where I just like toss my Bible and like kids would be like, you can't do that. That's like disrespectful of the Holy Bible. And I'm like, dude, like th- th- that thing doesn't matter. But what God talks to us in it matters. That's what matters. John Piper puts it this way. He says, I love the Bible like I love my eyes. Not because my eyes are lovely, but because without them, I can't see what is lovely. Man, that's what the Bible does for me. That when I read it, he talks to me. When I read it, it's like putting on the glasses and I can see the amazing God and who he is and all his grace and all his glory and all his love for me. And it just like produces faith. That would mean I want to walk. I want to walk in a manner worthy of him. Pleasing him in all respects. Relying on him. So, so I, I hope you, you, you're catching the vision. Man, God wants to talk to you in, in the Bible. He wants to speak to you. And he'll speak to you a number of other ways. The Holy Spirit will speak to you if you are in Christ. He'll speak to you through the people that are in this room. But primarily in all of those things, and all those things that we think and, and hear are subject to what God has written to us in his word. God wants to talk to you in the Bible. And so you might be asking, okay, I get it. Where do I start? Where, where, where do I start? And can I just tell you, actually, great place to start. Go back a week and listen to Jason's sermon. That's a great place to start. And I don't mean just like if you're brand new to the Bible, never read the Bible, that's a great place to start. Yes, that too. Go back a week, watch it on YouTube or Church Center or wherever you get technology stuff. And watch that sermon and interact with it. It will give you great tools. And even if you've been walking with Jesus for 30 years and like, okay, I want to take another step knowing God. And you're like, okay, start there. And what I, want to, what I want to go through today is actually not just tack something on to the end of what Jason said, but I actually want to take one piece and I want to kind of zoom in on it. 
And if you have one of those cards, or if, if you, I think there's more, you could probably get it in some digital form on some social media site or something, I don't know, ask someone techie, um, and, and, and get one of those things. Or in the Bible reading plans, it lays out this acronym called REAP. Read, examine, apply, and pray. And what I want to dive into is the examine. Examine it thoroughly. And I want to look at four points that will help us dive deeper into what it is to examine the scriptures thoroughly. And the first one, it might seem like it doesn't go, but let me tell you, not just examine it thoroughly in that moment. Because most of the time when we read that reap, like read, examine, apply, pray, like we think, okay, this is what I'm going to do here and now primarily. But examine it thoroughly today, this week, this month, this year, and for the next decade. And if you're going to examine it thoroughly like that, it's going to be a regular part of your life. If you're going to dive into it, it's going to be a regular part of your life. And I'll tell you in this modern world, if anything's going to be a regular part of your life, it's going to be scheduled. Would you just schedule in Bible reading? Like, like, this is what I do with my youth all the time. I'm always asking my youth, hey, what are you reading right now? And a lot of them are like, oh, I'm not reading anything. And I'm super thankful that they're like actually honest with me. Um, and so, but then my next question is, okay, what are we reading this week? And they're like, uh, and then I'm like, pick something. Like, open up your Bible, just pick something. Let's, what are we going to read? Okay. All right, when are you going to read? What time of day? All right. Now put it in your phone as a reminder. Like, 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 I don't even let them leave the conversation until they have it in their phone as a reminder. Like, okay, let's talk about this next week. Or text me this week about it. Like, schedule it in. Make it a part of your day. Make it a priority. And you're like, I don't have time. I got to get up in the morning and I got to make my breakfast. Skip breakfast. Who cares? Live on the word of God. God is talking to you. It's more important than breakfast. Like, it doesn't matter. Like, like figure something out. There is something you can cut out of your life. And so that God, the God of the universe would talk to you. Man, would you schedule it in? The, the next thing is, as we examine it thoroughly, I, and I'm real bad at coming up with like cute little phrases or words, so I write things like this, let it bother you. Because um, I, don't, I don't know what else to say. Someone will probably come up with like a phrase and then like I could change it next to this, but I wouldn't know how to do the slide and so I'll just leave it. Let it bother you. And here's what I mean by this. As, as you're reading through the text, you're going to come across things that you're like, Man, he says this over and over and over and over again. What? Why is that? Would you let that bother you a little bit? Or, hey, there's this scripture and this scripture, and, and they just seem to kind of clash, like kind of contradict itself. Like, I, I don't know what to do with that. Don't, don't just pass over that. Don't accept the answer that sometimes people give of like, well, you just got to have faith. No, let it, let it kind of... Churn. Let it bother you a little bit. When there's things that are hard, that you're like, I don't know how I'm going to deal with this. Would you let it bother you a little bit? And by, by let it bother you, what, it, what I mean is, let, let it stir enough that you're like, no, I need, I need to go deeper and find an answer to this. And it doesn't matter how long it takes. But I need to go deeper and find an answer. I need to jump into that study Bible. I need to text those people that, that might have a helpful explanation for me on how this fits together or why this is a, a theme. 
Study, research, go deep. Don't just pass over things that are difficult, but let them bother you to the point that you're like, God, I want you to show me what you're trying to show me in this. The deep mysteries of God that are hard to understand, I want you to illuminate this for me, and I'm going to spend the time basking in it until I understand this. I do this in my life. Actually, this, this verse about praying, praying for people. I got convicted like eight months ago because I was reading through all this of, and seeing how Paul always tells people he's praying for them. And I spent months just thinking about like, why? Why does he tell them? Like, I feel like I'm boasting when I say things like that. And I got to that point of like, no, he wants to encourage them. Or, or, or you guys are going to think I'm crazy, but like James chapter 2 and Romans chapter 4, they both talk about faith and works, and they seem like they crash. I spent 14 years on that cha- those chapters. 14 years. Obviously, I did other things, but I would come back to it, and it just bugged me. It just bugged me, and I, I finally started to come to re- some real conclusions this last year. 14 years of studying those chapters, and I just let it bother me. But can I just tell you what happens? It's like when someone's painting a beautiful painting, an amazing artist, and they just start painting, and they don't tell you what they're painting. They don't tell you what they're going to make, and you're just watching, and you're trying to figure it out, and you're looking at different angles, and you're like, what? What is it? And you, you just have to wait, wait, and then all of a sudden, it clicks and it's beautiful. And there's still more stuff to be filled in, but, but you see it for what it is. But you don't always have those moments unless you're willing to spend the time working through it and letting it bother you. I'm not saying you got to spend 14 years. I'm insane. Like, like don't worry about it. But, but spend some time. Spend t- some time. Uh, third is to meditate. And just to clear any false notions of, of meditation, meditation is not emptying your mind of all things. It's not emptying your mind to, to reach nirvana or anything like that. The, the, the meditation of the scriptures is to meditate on something. And we see this most clearly written out for us in the Psalms. Psalms 1 says, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the way of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted, which yields its fruit in its season, and whose leaf does not wither, and whatever he does, he prospers. He meditates on the word day and night. Go through all, all the Psalms. This is a continuing theme through some of them, like through a lot of them. Actually, go to Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible, the longest, like beautiful poem. And all through that chapter, you will see meditation on the law of the Lord so that it would change you, that as we listen to God's word, that it would actually go deep into spiritual wisdom and understanding. And I think meditation is one of the main ways that we see that happen. I think meditation is one of the main ways. And, and just, this, this is how I do it. Like, this might look different for a lot of people, but, but I hope this is helpful. This, this is what it kind of looks like for me. I get up every morning, and I start taking care of things. I put on my hot water for my tea, and I sit down on the couch, and I start to read. And I might have like a plan of how much I'm going to read for my daily devotions. I might be planning on reading a chapter, two chapters, three chapters, five chapters. But so many times, so frequently nowadays, I come across something and it just hits me. 
It just hits me. Like, like who God is in his glory or a sin that, that I'm like, like it's actively like opening up in my life or whatever it is. And I just, I've learned to stop. I didn't used to do that. I, I used to just go past it. And I still sometimes do when I'm doing like particular study. But in my morning devotions, I don't go past it anymore. And it doesn't matter how much quantity I read for my devotions. That's not the point. That's not the point. But what I'll do is I'll stop. And I'll just sit and I'll meditate on that piece. And then that piece becomes my meditation for the entire day. Take, for example, this passage that we're in first, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 9 or starting verse 10, so that you would walk in a manner worthy. Like that, that phrase might just hit me. Man, what is it to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord? And I just stop right there and pray over it and meditate on it. God, what, what is the, the manner that you want me to walk today that is worthy of you? How can I please you today? What, what, can I, what, what does faith and reliance on you look like today that would be result in a manner of walking that's worthy of you. And I just think about that through all the day. You know, I, you get distracted, you're, you're working, you got to think about other things, but I try and always come back to it. Turn off the, the radio, turn off the sermon, turn off the podcast that morning and just be like, no, I'm going to meditate on what it is to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord this morning. And just to encourage you, if you sit down and you're like, okay, I want to do that. And you read three chapters and you're like, nothing hit me. And all I thought about was my finances. Fine. Go back, pick one thing. Just pick one thing and meditate on it. Spend some time in it. Bask in it. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing to meditate on the word of the Lord. And he will change you through it. And the last one that I have here as we examine it, thanks thoroughly, is, is to memorize. That would you make memorizing Scripture a regular part of your life? That you would go deep into Scripture because you have stored His Word in your heart, that you have hidden His Word in your heart, that you would be ready with the Word, that it would go deep into your being because you memorize it and you think about it all the time, that this is just part of who you are. And not only that, but, but that God would actually be using those memory verses, the things that you memorize, as instruments in the war that you are in. Because if you are in Christ, like there is a spiritual war in this world. There is a spiritual war for every soul and Satan wants to take you down. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He wants to take you out. If you're not a believer, he wants to shut your eyes and your ears to hearing this and knowing this truth. He doesn't want you to have the joy and the grace that is in Jesus Christ. He doesn't want that. He wants you to die and you are in a spiritual war and if you are a believer in Christ or become a believer in Christ today, can I just tell you, be equipped for the war. Would you pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and would you carry it around with you everywhere? And I don't mean like picking it up and putting it in your pocket, and you're like, okay, temptation comes. I got to like concordance temptation. And no, like be ready to draw that sword. Would you examine it thoroughly? Would it be part of who you are that when temptation comes, you're like, all right, 1 Corinthians 10, 13, temptation is overtaking you, except what is common to man. And God is faithful. God is faithful who will not let you be tempted beyond what you are able, but when you are tempted, will provide a way out so that you might stand up under it. And in that moment, you're like, man, I've examined it thoroughly and I'm ready for the war. 
and I know my God, and I know the grace that he has for me. And I will continue walking in a manner worthy of him because I know who he is. And he's trustworthy, and he's faithful, and I will place my faith in him. Or those moments where you're sitting on the couch or in bed, and those memories of the things that you've done just come in and you just feel overwhelming condemnation and shame. Would you have Romans chapter 8 verse 1 at the ready? That therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death for what the law could not do weak as it was through the flesh. God did sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. He condemned it so that we would stand not condemned. You are not condemned if you are in Christ. Would you have that stuff at the ready? Would you know your Bible? Would you know it, not just to know it, because you, but because you want to know this Jesus who saved you? Would you know it, not just because you, know, you, you, you want to show off and have memory verses, but because you're like, no, I want your word in my heart, and I know you, Jesus, and I love you, Jesus, because you died for me, and you're glorious, and I want to live every single part of my life in faith and reliance on you so that I would walk in a manner worthy, pleasing you and bearing fruit. And the last part of that verse in Colossians chapter 1 verse 10 goes back to increasing in the knowledge of God. And I love the cyclical nature that that shows. Is that when we do that and we get to know God just a little bit better and it just goes on and our trust grows and our joy grows. And do you love Jesus? Get to know him through his word. If you don't know Jesus, can I invite you to know him? And to start knowing him through his word. It's the most joyful, amazing thing you will ever experience. Nothing compares. Because this is what you were made for. Know God. Read your Bible. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for who you are, for your glory, for your majesty, for your unending patience with us. And that you sent your own son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. And I thank you that you have revealed yourself in your word. And that as we open up, you will speak to us. God, and I pray first and foremost of anything this week, that as people in this room are convicted to pick up their Bibles and read that you would speak to them. That they would know that the living God is talking to them. And they would feel comfort and peace. And even when the hard things hit, that you would walk them through it lovingly and patiently and gently like you do. And I pray this in the name of Jesus Christ and his blood poured out for us on that cross. Amen.